We still do seven NUFC Matters show a week for free. But if you want to help support NUFC Matters, then there are a few ways of doing it. Hit the like button on each live broadcast and video. This helps the channel grow. Hit the subscribe button and select the all notifications bell so you don't miss a single show. If you want to help us financially, then you can join the channel using this button with the membership starting at $1.99 a month. Or you can drop us a donation in the chat using a super sticker. We're also looking for sponsors. If you'd like your brand advertised on the flies for the show and featured during the ad break, then email john at nufcmatters.com to arrange today. Good evening, welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. It is the professionals on a Sunday evening, so it's a welcome to Stu and to uh, Mitch. How was the birthday, Mitch? Very peaceful, very relaxing, very chilled and very whiskey-filled. So, you know, you, you can't kind of complain at that, really. Very good, very good, and uh, I hope there's many more of them. Uh, as always, plenty to talk about. No games this weekend, of course, because it was the international weekend. Uh, plenty of uh, bragging rights. Uh, I know these guys don't like the brag, but uh, they were right. Um, you know, this Morris Kennedy quote uh, says, looks like Mitch and Stu were right about Sheikh Jasmine uh, all along. That's why I love this channel. Proper information. Thank you, Morris. Uh, yes, Sheikh Jasmine um, was... Uh, it looks, in all intents and purposes, uh, a bit of a red heron, Mitch, which uh, I think you and Stu have mentioned on more than 20 occasions. I think red heron's not the word I would pick. There was always just something really strange about the whole bid. Somebody whose worth was at about 1.7 billion suddenly is magic and 6 billion plus out of the year. Uh, mentioning a foundation whose name wasn't to be found anywhere until around about uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, around about the 14th of Feb was the first time you, you saw mention of a 9-2 foundation. And it didn't even have a physical address until April, which was when the third round of bids was in, when they started after Get Serious and Provide Proof of Funds. So there was always something, just a little bit awry, about what it was. I, I personally think it started as a kite flying operation to see how far Qatar would get, to see how far they'd get through the process before certain difficult questions would start to be asked, to find out what kind of questions were going to be asked, all in preparation for possibly doing something else somewhere else down the line. And the more it went on, the more likely they were, they got to this point, oh shit, we might actually have to buy this. And, and so suddenly things had to become physical my understanding was that 
very late in the process, somebody more senior within Qatar got involved and was the, the word that somebody used to me was mortified that had gone so far as to put a six billion bid in, which was basically double what they saw the worth of the club was. And I think that that's pretty much where it died for me. All of this leaving bids in place and withdrawn from processes is is a classic face-saving exercise in this part of the world. Nobody likes to say they were beaten, nobody likes to say they give up. So we're walking away with a head held high, no, there's still a bit there. But, you know, um, for the Glazers part, I think they were always hoping that one of these cockamamie bids might just pay off and then they make a lot of money out of it. But they might end up getting what they really wanted, which was a cash injection that they didn't have to find. Whether that comes from Sir Jim Ratcliffe is another matter because I hear from other areas um, the whole Enios uh, setup within various sports is stretched to quite thin at the moment. So how much they've got to actually invest in Man United might be a surprise and not a good surprise in that respect. But I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not sceptical of these sources because they've been writing about so many other things along in the process as well. Um, it, it just always had that strange... It felt like Bin Zayed Group on steroids, and that's what it really, in many ways, it turned out to be. Because they were never, ever going to write a check. Stu, interesting. Uh, I mean, we've kept the narrative on here yeah, very simple. We didn't think it was going to happen. Um, I've been watching uh, poor Melly on Twitter. Uh, uh, going through all the meltdown that Newcastle fans would normally go through if something bad happened. But, uh, yeah, it, it, something didn't feel right about this from the start, did it? Absolutely not. Uh, Mitch Wrench and their cash injection, it was a, what they were looking for. I, I still think they are looking for is a cash injection where they don't have to pay interest on it. Uh, and that's that's more talent, and they still have the majorities here, so it's not really an attractive investment for anyone. Uh, but regarding Sheikh Jasm, I think with what's happened with him pulling out now, I think it just leaves a raft of questions. Some of them will never get the answer to. Some uh, some of the answers are obvious. To say, I think Mitch just mentioned at the start there. Was it a vanity project before? And he got into it. You know there. Would and had it been accepted, would QSI, which is a Qatari sports investment, would they have then had to bail them out to save face? Um, were they really after US hedge companies? Were they really approached or were they ever required? You know, so you have all these questions. And was the bit ever likely to succeed? Probably not, not from where it started. And there was no substance to the bid, there was no proof of funds, there was nothing. So whether that was just a case of some middle-aged guy having a mental breakdown and deciding, I want the world to know who I am because I've got lots of money, that, that's great, but he doesn't have enough money. Now, if I played devil's advocate and knowing how business is done in this region, could it be a power play by Sheikh Jazim where he's withdrawn his bid, similar to what did, and it's, it's what people do here in business if they don't think they're going to get what they want they'll withdraw the bid and say well, i'm not doing it anymore so it, it saves face it retains credibility and the status within the circle social circles are mixing 
because uh, business deals are very highly valued, especially that sort of money in the JCC and the, the Middle East as well. So, I mean, that's just me playing devil's advocate because, as I said, PIF did it. The massive difference is PIF absolutely had proof of funds to proceed. Sheikh Jasmine never had the amount of money to proceed. I think it's 1.6 billion his personal wealth is estimated at. So he could only then give, if he gave everything he's got, he could only get a quarter of what he wanted. So 75% is missing somewhere. Um, what my concern is now is because the press have been really, really kind to Man United and want them to get this takeover so they can get their rightful place dominating English football again. Will we see the moral arbitrators from the press crawl out from under the rocks again and start throwing little pebbles at Newcastle United because they've been quite quiet of late because of Manchester United uh, and they couldn't do that. Now, another question I want to ask is, other moral arbitrators, as in football clubs, will, them, will they stop singing sweet music to Qatar, knowing that they had anywhere between three to six billion to invest? Tottenham Hotspur, anyone? You know what I mean? So you've got things like that where they could then just say, right, OK, well, there's been rumblings in the press of late as well. Levy said it on two occasions, two separate occasions, that if the right bid came in, he would sell Tottenham or he would take uh, sell, sell, sell a big share of it. And will the Qataris see a face and stick one or two fingers up to Manchester United and say, right, you didn't want our money, these will have it. And the fact that Tottenham has started pretty well, that could be an avenue they might explore in the future. So that's just my thoughts on it. And, um, we never thought, in all honesty, Mitch did the, the initial digging and, and then we both started and with uh, Steve Hastie started scurrying like Jack Russell's trying to hide something. Uh, you know, so we went through it and it just didn't add up. The, it wasn't a credible bid. There, was, there wasn't enough proof of who he was, what they were, where they were going to get the money from, what the long-term fans were, etc., etc., etc. So now Man United fans are going to feel like how we did on that day when a lot of our fans... Two views included, by the way, who said, that's it, it's over. And only Muggins here said, no, it'll still happen. They'll do it all the time. They've pulled out because they can't take it further. So, as I wrote on the bottom of my thing, I told you so, because Mitch wrote. <laughs> oh, I said, so did I. So he's got to tell you so, so did I. So, I did it for that reason, because the, the, the one regarding our takeover, PIF, they didn't want to be told they're not having it, and they don't like being told they can't have something. So, they say, all right, this isn't going any further. We don't need you. You need us more than you, uh, than we need you, and that's why they're pulled out. Then, as we know, the story developed, and okay, you give us that pathway, and we'll come back. So, if Sheikh Jasm's playing that bid, they're uh, playing that role, and seeing how it was done by PF, then good luck to him because he's going to have to start proving where his money's coming from, and and that's going to be harder for him because since our takeover, it was then voted in that countries couldn't buy. Yeah, for the Premier League and Tottenham and Manchester United were two of the clubs at the forefront of voting for that. So we'll see what happens. We will. We'll watch it with interest. Uh, no, we won't be talking about ticketing tonight. Uh, we did do no. that. We did do that. At, uh, we did do that on Friday. It did like dominate. Dear me, I dominated the show. Uh, John, uh, could the Tonali situation actually work in our favour? 
I may, uh, I'm, what I mean is he'll just knuckle down and train and well away from his home country where the alleged betting problems occurred. Yeah, I mean, look, this is this is a story which will which will continue to run. I've got no doubt about it over the course of the next week. Uh, like I said on Friday, Neil, it, I'm, I'm pleased really that Newcastle didn't have a game because because ultimately this would have dominated Eddie Howe's press conference would have probably dominated, you know, the you know the or overshadowed any potential game that we might have had at the weekend. Obviously, the latest various Italian media outlets have reported um, that Tonali's had his mobile phone confiscated. It's an unsubstantiated report. We don't know whether that is true and whether that is part of the, you know, the, the ongoing investigation. There's also unconfirmed reports that the Newcastle player admitted to playing blackjack and poker online, but he's denied any involvement in illegal sports betting. Uh, from Sempra Milan uh, is my source for that particular story. But um, yeah, look, this is gonna this is gonna run, run, run. Uh, I think for at least another week. I, I certainly think Eddie Howe will be questioned about it come Friday. Um, you know, obviously we've had a we've had another couple of days reflection. Um, nothing really news come out. I don't think Mitch and I just think it'll be water off a duck's back. I mean, I think there'll be some punishment of some sort, but I think the the, the speculation on social media of three year bans, etc., and hype in the media of three year bans, I think is is exactly that hype. I, I think it's I think it's I don't think it's just going to be as bad as as all all that. At least that's my that's my view, my opinion. We don't know all the facts. And so yeah. until the facts are there, until there's a charge, until there's a case being made, um, anything and everything's speculation, really. Um, could it work in our favour? Well, yeah, I touched on this a little bit on Friday. I think there's, can we find the positives in a situation like this? Well, um, it would suggest he's not going to have any national involvement with the, the national team for a period of time, if nothing else. Um He's going to be here out the way of the Italian media. Media, yeah, being in the Premier League is hardly hiding from the media. It's the biggest, <laughs> biggest global stage in many ways. But at the same time, it may just give him the the, the nudge to say, right, be here, knuckle down, be part of this. Let's us all, you know, rally around you, and the club will be there for you. And you give a hundred percent to us every time you, you turn out on the pitch. I'm sure we'll support him as as, as hard as ever. Um, and he's and he's actually he's playing when he's playing football. It might be a wonderful distraction for him from the world around. He could get lost in his football a little bit. Um, you, you never know. He's a difficult character to read. I used the word surly on on Friday night, and, I, and I'll stick with that. He seems like he's got that sort of. Um, I don't want to say attitude, but he, he certainly is a difficult, difficult person to read. He's not, um, Walker. he's not like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> poker face, <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's not like, not like Bruno, who definitely wears his heart on his sleeve, hmm. that's for sure. He's quite a very different character. Um, but yes, it could turn out to be a benefit, or it could turn out to be, you know, our. Um, response is, is very simple. We will support you, turn in 100% with us and give us all the best on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Like Mitch says, we don't know the full ins and outs of this case. It's all very much speculative reporting from the journalists at the moment. And until there's any official statements out there, uh, other than the one that we've had from the from the Italian manager, of course, who spoke highly of both players, said it was unfortunate and that was that. Um, but yeah, there's not a great deal that we can say until I guess all the facts are released. No, you can stop like piecing things together though. I mean, on my 
uh, appearance of the Amigos to wish Mitch a happy birthday on Friday. I did mention the three words duty of care regarding Tenali. Tenali, sorry. And there's been varying reports of the severity of his indiscretions. You know, from it's just been a poor game to full on high stakes gambling addiction. And it seems to be at the moment it's a trial by the media, not just social media, the media itself. And it, it's, it's, it's like guilty until proven innocent. But sadly, in instances like this, there's no smoke without fire. So there's obviously, for the Italian FA to say, right, you can't be playing, you have to go. They're distancing themselves, probably not the right phrase, but they're, they're already acting to say, like, look, we've, we were aware of it, so we, we've done something about it. Uh, I'm sure there'll be support there. Uh, but if he is guilty, the, the question is, and there's been already press leaks or made up things in Italian social media saying that he's really remorseful. But is that for breaking the laws that he knew he shouldn't be doing, or is it for being caught? And that happens with a lot of people who break the law. They, they feel really bad about it. They're really sorry. They should, I, wish, I won't do it again, I promise. That's because they got caught. And the same as anything else. You only need to get caught once. You can get away with it so many times. You just need to get caught once. Uh, so how remorseful he is will probably go a long way to determining uh, the severity of any ban he receives and his long-term long -term rehabilitation. Because it could be a case of, right, you've put your hands up, it wasn't as bad as player X or player Y, you've admitted that, or you could just say it's my money, I can do what I want. Because you have to remember these are young, bored, impressionable millionaires with too much money, too much time on the hand, and that goes back to what we said at the start, which was the duty of care. But perversely, if he has been gambling, knowing he shouldn't be, and there is bans and bans to come, whatever the term of the ban is, and this is the perverse bit, he shouldn't, he probably isn't in a better place than at Newcastle United. Um, because to find out, to show that there's light at the end of the tunnel, to show him that there is a road to redemption, he just has to look at our captain, fantastic Kieran Trippier. He went through this years ago, and, and he's got come out of it the other side with a strong mental attitude and improved as a player, improved as a person. So he's seen as a leader now, you know, and I don't think there's many better right-backs in Europe currently. And he's playing with a, a freedom, but his whole demeanour on and off the pitch is someone who's good with himself. You know, he's, he's at peace with himself. And so that redemption is there because he, he did something similar with the gambling and no one shouldn't and got caught. But he's, he was obviously aware now, or at that time, right, this is my career on the line and I need to do something about it. So all this talk of he's had, uh, all he's had, uh, what they're called, psychotherapy and stuff like that. That was me swinging a pendulum, by the way. Uh, psychotherapy and stuff like that. That may be true, it may not be true. But until the facts are actually out, it's all going to be mere speculation at the moment. So I think we're, what we need to do is take a step back, see what he's actually charged for, if he is charged, uh, if it's not by association, if it is something he's, he has been doing. And we'll just have to take the next step. And I just hope the club, and I'm sure they will, will, will back him. And there's, there's, there's a good old saying that we've all heard before, you can't help someone until they start helping themselves. And he has to show that he wants to help himself. And if he does that, he'll have... 50 or 1,000 people are helping. It's the first time he pulls on a black and white shirt. He's seeing James as a game. 
Uh, George Bainbridge, by the way, just a reminder that he says, hi, on the Toon Teaser, did competitors draw lots for the questions? No, I selected the questions for people. Two more to go. The final two, Mitch and Stu, uh, will be broadcast this week. Um, if I remember rightly, I think Mitch Mitch goes out on Tuesday and Stu's will be probably Thursday. So we will know the winner by Friday and the trophy winner will be announced. So uh, look forward to that. So thanks for reminding us on, uh, George. Uh, I haven't seen this story, but apparently Emil Smith-Rowe uh, has been linked with Newcastle. Proper how type of player, says Eddie. Tom jumped in early doors uh, and um, uh, said that he's emerged as a potential transfer target for Newcastle and simply asks, would you take him, Mitch? Is, is, is he the answer to uh, uh, to, to bolstering that, uh, you know, the, the, the front men? Right about him being the kind of player that I think Howe would like. Versatile, fit, young, malleable, but already at a certain level where you could drop him into a team and he would perform. Um, I've seen talk about the young striker at Nottingham Forest as well. And interestingly, both Smith, Rowe and him played very well with Gordon in that under-21 tournament in the summer. Gibbs Wayne. Gibbs, right? Yeah, and, and all three of them look good, you know, playing. Gordon played as a false name. Gibbs, right? Played sort of around him. And Smith Rowe, when he came on, played in midfield behind. So they played triangles around each other and they seemed to interact very well, um, from what I saw anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think it's the kind of kind of sign. And the one thing I'd say is um, we're going to get two types of signings, and he falls into the category where I think we'll see most of our signings, these players who are committed, um, able to be coached and have room for improvement and come at good value. And I think that's that's the kind of players Eddie Howe would like. And then the other type of players will be players who are genuine, shockingly good transfers like Isaac and Tanali, you know, where you put the big money in and we'll get something, you know, already proven. But again, with the ability to improve further. Um, so, yeah, I would, wouldn't be upset to see we're talking to Smith Rowe at all. Okay, Stu, would you be happy with him as a, as a potential signing? Is that a, is that a move in the right direction, do you think? You need to play the music, dum boom, boom. Um, <laughs> uh, he's not for me. And I think if someone can't even get into the Arsenal team or make the bench most weeks, then why would we? These are the teams we're competing with. We don't need their cast-offs. I think if we were going to sign someone like him, it would have been last window or the window before, where it would have helped develop us and him simultaneously. Uh, um, again, this is my personal opinion. Uh, I'm of the belief where I think if we are buying now, we need to buy better than what we've got or younger than Smith Rowe and in development that way. And I, and I believe that's where the club will be looking. We need players who can come in and improve that first team now. We can't just keep thickening the squad out with players of much of a muchness. We need to have, in my opinion, we need to have that sprinkle of stardust and say, right, we're not going to buy two players for 30 million, we'll buy one for 60. Or not going to buy two for 40, we'll buy one for 80. Because this is how we're going to advance to the next level and be consistently Champions League. And the surplus cash, if you think, for example, you could spend... 60 million on one player and 10 million on a very good prospect that may well break into the team and save you 50 or 60 million in the future. And if not, you'll sell them for 22 or three years down the line. That's the way I think Newcastle will be going. And like I say, with the acquisitions of Hall 
and Livermento. They, they were young squad players with the future. Why add someone like Smith Rowe? Is he better than Willock? And would that not cause unrest if he could win and start playing in front of someone like Willock? Or was it higher in the pecker order than, than Willock? I don't see it. And again, it's just that's just my perspective on the on the question. I just don't think Smith Rowe is better than what we've got. So why waste money on that? Barry says Tierney couldn't get into the Arsenal side. So what's the difference? He can't get in any side now. He's injured. <laughs> so, <laughs> he was in the Arsenal He was player of the season, the fans player of the season for three seasons. So the difference is that he came in late and he wanted to play a different style. And, and I think we, we've all seen uh, Arteta's ego, the way he's messed about with goalkeepers. And he just wants to be like his mentor to make a tweak to a system to say look isn't this fantastic um he brought Zinchenko from Manchester City and then realized he couldn't play him in midfield so right okay I'll, I'll play you there and but regarding Gianni if we have to cross that bridge again I still think he would have been fantastic for us regarding Smith Rowe and because Gianni is better than what we've got Smith Rowe is not so there's the answer to Barry you just concentrate on these transfer links Barry <laughs> he said he, start, he started already, he says. Okay, uh, halfway through the short time for the ads. A big thanks to all our sponsors. Skips and Bins, telephone 0800 25 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website, skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pay-as-you-go waste collection. Thanks to Mr. Vicky Sources, handmade in Cumbria. You can find out more about them from their website, mrvickys.co.uk or by calling 01768 210 Thanks to Media Arts for all the help with the video side of things. And thanks to United Group Travel, UK coach holiday firm based in Mortmouth. There's no strangers on there to us, just people you haven't met yet. They're now taking bookings for 2024. You can call 01670 632 460 0791 or 07957-141-654. Or go to the website, unitedgrouptravel.com. Please subscribe to the channel. Hit the subscribe button underneath the video today. We still do seven shows a week. Hit the thumb up under the video to like it. It does us a big favour. Click share to share to your other social media and let people know about NUFC Matters. We're also a podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast providers. If you want to help the show financially, you can take out a £25 one-off membership. You get a scarf, a pen, a cup, and a membership card. How do you get it? Go to nufcmatters.com, look for membership. If you've got a smartphone, then put your smartphone over the QR code, and it will take you straight to that section on the website. We also support the food bank on this channel. You can donate to the food bank today by going to nufcfansfoodbank.co.uk. We do support events on this channel as well. If you've got an event, please send it in and we'll promote it. The Time Theatre and Opera House are doing a Keegan, Beardsley and Waddle event, the Class of 84, 25th of January, 2024. Book now by calling 0844 1,000. And the Tyneside Irish Centre, they're doing an event with Frank Clark and John Gibson on Thursday, December the 7th. You can get tickets from nufcmatters.com 
and they are priced at £15. There's also some uh, tickets available on Groupon. Don't forget, you can catch me five days a week, Monday to Friday, with Rye, Dave and Daz on the Northeast Footy Brecky Show, 7 till 9, and you can catch us on The Red, The Toon and The Cat and on Toon Radio's website. What's up us on the day? 033 043 2002. The perfect way to start your day. Yes, Spenny says, Evening, everyone think the YouTube adverts are trying to tell me something. Advertising tablets to combat wind. Must have known I had a curry last night. <laughs> yeah, these these uh, YouTube adverts. Some people are getting them, some people aren't. I, I'll, I'll keep repeating this until you get into the flow of it. There's nothing we can do. YouTube have put these adverts in. If you're watching it in a certain on a certain way, you'll get them. If you if you're watching them, maybe on a phone, you might. If you're watching on a certain type of computer, depending on what kind of browser you're watching on it, it's all. It, 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 I, I just don't understand it. But we we obviously were notified it was going to happen, so at least we can tell you that's what's happening. But you you just got to go with the flow. If you miss something, unfortunately, there's nothing not a great deal we can do until YouTube pack whatever they're doing in. But uh, they're obviously trying some kind of things. And he's just had cheese and crackers. I'm not sure whether that's a personal thing or whether that's the advert that he's just had, but it's uh, yeah, nothing we can do, unfortunately. Uh, John uh, says, Can he feel winnable games coming up, especially with players coming back from injury? Could be another quality season. That's the way to look at it, mate. It really is. Um, you know, we've had a great little run uh, over the last, you know, over the last six, seven games, and, and hopefully that will be something that we can continue after the international break. Uh, and David on the uh, Tonali situation says, Do you think Milan saw this coming down the line and that's how we bought him? I don't think that was the case, David. I, I really don't. But we're going to move on from that. We're going to go to Ray's question, which I think, which I think is a really good one. He says, uh, if you were to play for Newcastle United, what position would you play? And which Newcastle United player, past or present, would you compare yourself to? Hmm. That's a great question, that. Um, I mean, what position would I play? And what position would I would I be any good at playing? Um, well, I played centre-half on a Sunday. Um, but I tell you what. Playing centre half for Newcastle, you've got to be you've got to be good, otherwise you're going to get the stick off the crowd, aren't you? And I get enough stick on social media without uh, being a centre half for Newcastle. I've got to be honest. So I think I'd like to stick up front. I think playing in this team, I think playing in this team, anybody, any, any, any three of us could probably notch a few goals in a season with the balls coming in from Kieran Trippier. They'd just be hitting off us going in. Um, which player would I compare to? Um, oh dear me, oh. I would say I, I'm not going to say that I'm as bad as I was as bad as tight as Bramble. Um, I was probably a combination of John Anderson and Kevin Scott. There you go. That there's there's my comparison. So I've get with my waffling on. I've given Mitch and Stu enough time to think of what they are going to say. So go on, Mitch. Over to you first. If you were to play for Newcastle United, what position would you play? And which Newcastle player, past or present, would you compare yourself to? Great question. I'd be happy to run the goal to the left fullback. And Frank Clark. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Stu. Well, it depends on what era I was playing football in, because when I was younger and a bit more mobile, I was and a late Mitch uh, used to be left foot, the right foot's just for standing on. Uh, so it would have to be on the left side. And I used to play left midfield. So, and I could take a good free kick, so I'll probably say Scott Sellers if I uh, match someone. But as I got older and met my good friend, Mr. Alcohol, I decided to go further back and become a bit of a 
be wrong to say killer killer clay now and say someone like john anderson or peter jackson and set us off okay ray says i see it's mitch and steve as peacock and albert that's very kind and Stu is a jack russell david mccreary i'll, I'll say that Billy Whitehurst uh, is who Spenny wants to be. Uh, thought you were thought you were a goalie, Steve. Barters look alike. Uh, David, yeah, that's true. Uh, Steve Wraith, another Tamuri catch buyer. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Barters, oh, no, we, we've set set people away here. This is what sometimes happens on here. <laughs> Stu, Stu would be Alan Shoulder, says Gary. Uh, Mitch reminds me of David Batty, biting, ta biting tackles. Stu is a Duncan Ferguson role. Steve, more of a Steve Howie centre-half. I... To be honest, like a lot of people said, me and Steve, how we look quite alike uh, back in the day I, when we both had hair. Uh... I was in Blackpool. Uh, I was with the Heat, and it was a group of us. And someone uh, come across and asked the Heat, is, is that Steve Howie from Newcastle with, with accents? Uh, I must have been, what, 22 at the time? So five years ago, if this happened. <laughs> Kevin Scott, is that the solid black bang bloke? No, Chip, as it's not. Uh, happy birthday to Andy Cole. Uh, Mitch is like Mickey Quinn, uh, says Steve. Uh, Stu and Bloody Scott. Says, <laughs> my life. Rambo Riley, Steve, says uh, Alan McKenzie. Um, and hope the points drop for Dortmund tomorrow. Yeah, uh, well, fingers crossed for you, Dougal. Uh, Stu would be Pop Robson. This is going to go on. Frank Clark never got across the halfway line. Uh, Frank Clark knows my father, says Michael. A uh, female for me, or Paul Sweeney, says the Major of Simpleton. And uh, goalkeeper, the great Pav, says Phil Hook. Uh, Paul and Paul Sweeney, attitude but knee skill. Says uh, the okay. mayor of Simbleton. Yeah. Uh, talking of Scots, uh, Stu, you did say before we came on air, uh, you wanted to talk about the the travesty, the misjustice, the injustice, the uh, the goal that never stood. Um, come on, get it off your chest, Stu. What happened in Scotland? What, the corruption, the collusion, the conspiracy. <laughs> Where do we stop? Um, this is why I, I didn't want to stay on the Migos on Friday because I was, I was still seething about it. And believe it or not, I've been what I've been trying to do sober October. Well, I've actually done sober October, apart from when Newcastle played. Uh, and there had to be the fact that there was an international break, which has made it a bit more difficult. So roll on Saturday. But regarding the, the Scotland game, it was a cracking free kick, and you can always tell if there's a debate to the goal with how the opposition react, and not one Spanish player questioned the goal the goalkeeper never questioned never asked for a foul against him no no one put their hands up for offside they just accepted they got hit by a sucker punch because it was against the run of players most teams are against spain uh, but it was a i don't know if you have seen it but it was a fantastic free kick from a tight angle and no what? keeper in the world stopped that and they went back to the center circle they're just about to kick off and the referees like elizia like oh hang on i better go and look at this screen so on the in the stadium to put it on for possible offside now if that's offside then how come the goal that man united scored against us at wembley wasn't offside because the reason that they give this is it wasn't interfering with play but my argument at that time was if he's in the lane attacking from a free kick he's interfering with play the old one is if he's not interfering what's he doing on the pitch but then they decided, even when they drew the lines, I don't know if you see, they were crossed over. The lines actually crossed over to try and make it. So you think, right, it's not going to be that. But that's what the referee said. It's That's what it's for. And then John McGinn said after the game that he, he was asked, he asked the referee about 15 minutes after, and he said it was for a foul. 
there was no following the keeper. And if, you, if anyone cares to watch it, I know I'm biased and I, I could be on about it all night, but if you watch it again, the ball was already past the keeper into the top corner. No keeper in the world would have saved that. And before the player, uh, Jack actually even Jack Henry actually even got near him. You know, so and if he did, he just br browsed his chest. But the keeper didn't complain. And you see it game after game after game after game. If they think there's any type of infringement, the hands are up straight away, especially the South Mediterraneans, like the Spanish, the Italians, etc. And not one of them complained. So my conspiracy theory is this, that UEFA wants the teams with the biggest nations, biggest TV rates, etc., to be able to qualify. Because if Scotland had won, that was them through, which left one space between Norway and Spain, who were playing tonight. And if Norway beat Spain, that would be Norway through. Well, just about. After, well, at the time, they had to play Cyprus and beat them, which they did. And then they have to play Scotland. We let them win just to get Spain out. So now Spain and Norway are basically in a playoff tonight because if Spain wins, Scotland are through. If Norway wins, Scotland are through. Sorry, if Norway draw, if it's a draw, Scotland are through. So the only way that can happen is if Norway beats uh, Spain and then Scotland need one point from Georgia away and then they've got Norway at home in the last game. So for all intents and purposes, today is a happy day. It's the day Scotland qualify for the Euros because I can't say Norway beating Spain. Famous last words, I know. But I, I don't think Norway will beat them. But I still can't. I'm still seeing the more I think about that goal being disallowed. And there's no reason why it was. And you can have better Macams putting things on the screen like that as well. It doesn't matter. Does. <laughs> That's a bite. Um, I, I wish I was as passionate about England, but I'm not. I couldn't give a monkey's about it. I didn't even watch. Didn't even watch it uh, the other night. Um, had no interest in it at all. Managed to see that one goal uh, that went in. And uh, that, yeah, just no, no interest in it at all. Uh, did you watch England-Australia, Stu? Not at all. <laughs> did you watch it, Mitch? I saw the first five minutes and then decided to take a sleeping tablet because that was far more exciting. <laughs> Should they have a replay, Stu? We're not going down that road, Kenny. Dear me. Uh, yeah, they shouldn't. It's, it's, it's just something that needs to be looked at. And the, yeah. this is where I think that they need referees, the, the make-up like they do in the rugby. The only problem you've got at like, these big tournaments is not every referee speaks... The language that you want to get it in so it, that could slow it down with interpretation and stuff like that but it happens and it's it's happened at wembley against the castle and now it's happened in seville against scotland so third time not before is that yeah uh, we'll see what happens over the course of the next uh couple of games as well uh england of course playing italy midweek minus uh tonali uh but uh yeah that I, I may give that a watch we'll see what happens tom he says uh, how far is will it away will he make the bench this weekend the answer to that question i would imagine is no tom um i don't think he'll be available now until probably november uh you've got to remember that he's not coming back from one injury he's coming back from two uh because he was he was he was going through the process of getting fit from one injury and then uh, he's Achilles, I think, was the was the next issue. So um, I think November is, is is more than likely. Wouldn't surprise me the way how is if he doesn't get him back in until possibly after the next international break. But that's me speculating. That isn't what's been said. So, yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't build your hopes up. You won't see him this weekend. Barry, uh, good evening again. He says, um, we're being linked with Juan Miranda from Real Betis, another left back. What is going on? 
Hall was bought to be our new left back. We've got Ashby, Byrne, Target, Dummett who can play there. What's your thoughts on this, lads? Um, yeah, I mean, we're being linked, Barry. Uh, you know as well as we do. Being linked doesn't mean we're going to buy him. But um, they can't be looking at another left back, uh, can they? Particularly with the Spanish press, who um, are always very agent-generated. And we are now one of the easiest names to drop when they want to generate interest in a player. Easiest name to drop when you want to get clickbait on a story. Um, that clickbait story about Bruno setting up his move to Barcelona that comes entirely from a Barcelona fan who runs a media company in Barcelona. Well, you can see it's him expressing his dreams and wishes under the guise of a story that you get plenty of clicks on. Um, so yeah, um, I can't see it. It's it's almost certainly agent driven. It's an agent who wants to get his player out there, get his player maybe he's on the move. Um and it's and it's easy. We're easy game for that. And we, we just have to put up with it. Uh Mitch, are you bothered about England? I'm in the Steve Wraith camp. International stuff just gets in the way of half time. I'll ask you that before we we ask Stu about his uh thoughts on potentially bringing another left back in. I have a right very checkered history with England because historically when our players got good enough to get caught up, called up for England, they were then sold. So I couldn't get excited about it. Um, however, as Stu would testify, he's seen us in the middle of a tournament mm -hmm. and I do get carried away once a tournament gets kicked in. Um, I get carried along in it. Um, so, yeah, I have this sort of love-hate relationship really with it. Um, I will get into it during the tournament but I struggle to I struggled with that game the other night like I say I, I think I lasted 10 minutes yeah and, you know I, I just couldn't stomach it because I also Southgate for me showed his true colours he, he talks out of his arse about picking on form he picks his picks the players he likes he picks the players he's comfortable with um, there's some of our players if they were playing for Crystal Palace would probably have had call-ups but they haven't. Um, work that one out for yourself. I think he uh, genuinely has favourites and people he has an interest in personally. Uh, and that's no way to pick a national team because uh, it certainly isn't picked on form. Stu, the left-back situation, what's your thoughts on that? I'm with Mitch on this one. For, for certain, it's agent-driven and it's something we're going to have to get used to. We're... The agent's either trying to get him a move, as Mitch suggested, or he's trying to get him a pay rise and a longer contract from the club he's at. Uh, it's, it's always one of the two. And because Newcastle United are the new boys in town with money hanging out the back of the pockets, as they, as it's believed across uh, the continent, then we're going to get linked with players constantly. And, and Barry will vouch for that. You know, you get a couple of hundred each window, probably more than that. He's, he's He probably limits his search because he's... He's actually got a life. I think if if he was able to widen these, you'd probably be linked with 500 players, and we end up signing three or four. So there's not even a one percent success rate. So, and especially when it's downtime like this for the clubs, when it's international week, the press need to come up with stories to to get the clicks. Uh, and that's what I'm saying. We'll probably see a lot more now that the Manchester United 
window appears to be closed for their takeover. So we hope, let's start widening the Newcastle fans up again and we'll get our human rights badges out once more. Rock and Rob's in the chat. Good evening. If you haven't watched any of uh, Rock and Rob's shows, do watch them. He does his album review on here every week. Always well worth the watch. He says, uh, anyone think how would consider the England job? I mean, this this is another story which, of course, will will circulate, I'm sure, in due course. Because I do have that feeling that Southgate is probably going to step down at some point in the near future. I wouldn't surprise me if he, he does this Euros and then and, and then decides to depart. You know, he, nothing lasts forever. It feels like it's gone a bit stale uh, to me. Um, I still think Potter will be the man who's who's in the driving seat for this job. He's, he's turning down jobs left, right and centre. Um, what's your thoughts on how? I mean, he has he has come out and... He has been asked about this in the past, and he's come out and spoken about it, hasn't he? So, what what's your thoughts? Do you think do you think there is a part of him hankering after that job, but maybe he's later in his career? I don't think so. I think later, yeah. I think at the minute he's far too hands on and far too involved day to day. Um, do you think there'd be enough for him to do as international manager? I'm not convinced. I would. I think he'd be, he, he, and I think he'd probably also want more control than anybody in the FA would be prepared to hand over. Um, so for me, um, where well, it's probably is seen as a pinnacle of a career, I think he'd like to have a career winning things winning Castle United first. Um, and you know what? If that's, that's the way it works out, you'd send him on his way with good grace. He's built a hell of a foundation. But I think he sees that there's work still to do with Newcastle United, and I think he wants to take the job to the next level. So I think England England talks a real seems a real distraction for him and something he seems to bat away with ease. He doesn't even seem vaguely interested to me. Okay, uh, thank you for that, Michael, as well. I don't want to lose that in the chat. Thanks for the entertainment. Stuck in Cramlington. Hope you realise what you do for people. Thank you, Michael. Much appreciated, mate. Yes, yeah, Stu, um, I mean, anyhow, going to England, it's something that we will... You know, which which we'll see uh, come up in due course. T- you know, time after time after time. So, you know, w- w- do you think it's do you think it's something that you would consider? Let's say Southgate goes next year. Do you think suddenly would find ourselves without a manager? I think he's the ideal candidate uh, if the FA could choose who they wanted. You know, he's eloquently spoken. He's English for a start. He's tactically astute. Uh, he's friendly. He's media savvy. I think he takes every single box the FA would want. That doesn't mean he'll go. Um, but what it, what I find amusing is when I was on one of my walks and I was listening to some Man City fan come on when they, he says, no, no, Pep Guardiola's not going to England. You're not having him. Eddie Howe would be very good for it. So they're all wanting to put Eddie Howe forward for the England job, which tells you one thing, he's doing something right. Uh, and they don't want their manager to go, but they see him as a threat. But as much as Eddie Howe lets us in, from what we see of him, he demands and earns loyalty and respect from his players. How would he get that if he just jumped ship? So I mean, I'm sure, I've never been an English lad, uh, but I'm sure as an English manager, it's something you aspire to. But again, I've got to go with what Mitch is saying. Eddie Howe is every day, tracksuit training ground, first in, last out. He wouldn't know what to do with England job. He'd be bored. I know he swore it. He'd be very bored. Um, very, very bored to, to the point where he wouldn't enjoy it. He, he's not ready for that yet, and I don't think he wants it. I think he's got so much potential here with with uh, Newcastle. There's, there's so much he can build and win and achieve. 
this is this is the opportunity that he's probably looked for, because when he started off in Bournemouth in the old fourth division or whatever it's second division it's called now, he didn't think I'm going to get the England job, but he would have loved to have the opportunity to get into the top league, and now he's he's done it for a few years, not just with us but with Bournemouth, and he's improved himself tactically. He's not going to get a better chance to to win silverware than what he is with us. And even if he, and, and the sense of achievement, and that's what it's about with, with Eddie Howe, the way I see it, he wants to, to build it and achieve it. If, let's say, Guardiola left, he took over there, it's it's just like following Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. You can only fail. Unless you start winning everything all the time, you'll only fail. So that, to him, wouldn't, I don't think would appeal to him. I think winning, staying at Newcastle and winning at Newcastle consistently would. So I, I don't think he'd, he'd take the England job now, and I don't think he would leave his coaching staff, even if he took them with him, I don't think he'd leave the players. And they're in it together, and that's the bond they've got. They're all on this road to success, and as much, you've seen how they've all improved. You've seen the unity in the squad, how they, how they bond, and they, and they stick together. Eddie Howe's been the glue that's made that happen. I don't think he would leave that. I think he'd regret leaving more than he would regret staying. So I think it's just people talk trying to destabilise what's happening or what's coming. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Tom Dixon uh, got another question and he says, with Bruno and Byrne already signing deals, do you think Shaw and Longstaff will follow them by signing new deals at the club? Fabian Scher, link, um, uh, they've said it looks potentially like he will be the next one. But um, yeah, Newcastle doing, doing the right thing, Mitch, aren't they? They're tying their, they're tying their best players down. One of the biggest criticisms under Ashley and Bruce's management of the squad. And, and that's exactly what we're seeing an improvement in. Um, there's an ability to tie certain players down, um, an ability to extend um, and find common ground with players about how long we want to give them and, and what rules they want to, what that rules they're happy to have, but also to let players go who might not be happy with the rule that they're being. Um, being offered necessarily and so I think that kind of squad management is important another reason why I don't think we'll end up signing another left back because I mean it's almost Pardew-esque in terms of the amount of left backs we could feel in a single team um, so things like that I think it, it's it's clever on the part of the club to manage the squad with one eye the future and an eye on the now I mean, Dan Burns signing his contract, uh, Stu. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was triggered after an extension earlier this year. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's he's agreed improved terms, and I think a lot of this is is to do with, you know, first of all, rewarding rewarding the lads for what they've done since Eddie Howe maybe came to the club. We do, I guess, as well have to think about that bonus um, situation that had developed at the start of the season, uh, which is probably a reason why we're seeing a lot of a lot of rejigging of contracts because you know we, we heard that you know that the bonuses were still set at, at, at Ashley levels and a few of the players hadn't been happy about that they've got a players committee of course so maybe this is just Newcastle taking the time getting things right and, and, and you know getting it right with everybody as opposed to one or two yeah I don't think there's a player in that squad it'd be hard pushed to think of a player in that squad that wouldn't sign a new contract if it was put in front of them yeah uh, that tells you that they're in a good place, they're happy with what they've got. Unless anyone who's watching can think of a player that would 
wouldn't sign a new contract. I, I genuinely can't think of one. Uh, even if you looked at the people like Dubravka, who tried to get away, he's come back and he's he's not making any waves to leave. He happy with his goal, and that there, I don't think it's a player that didn't want to wouldn't want to sign. They're all now. I think they can. You know yourselves when when we've played football, obviously at a much lower level. But when you're in a team and you get on a roll, and it becomes infectious, doesn't it? You know you're going to win something. You know something's going to happen, and they all want to be part of it. Most of them are there at the start of this journey. They want to be there at the first major milestone, which would be winning a trophy. Well, that's not the first major one. The first major one was staying up and then getting into Europe as they've done. But the next most significant one would be to win a trophy, and I think every single one of them want to be part of that. And this is why I think they're they're reluctant to have wholesale changes and get rid of so many people. They want to keep that squad as unified as possible. And yeah, we'll see. Maybe he's one major sign in each window for the next next couple of windows. Maybe he's going to splash out a bit more when they get more sponsorships in this. Then you've got the three-year cycle, and again, we don't want to walk down the path of FFP, but there's there's a lot to be there's a lot we need to catch up with now. Once it gets once it gets to three years, yeah. BJR says Tunali's been getting uh, help for gambling habit well before he joined Newcastle. That's an allegation uh, by the the media. Again, it's lots of speculation. BJR, thanks for becoming a member, by the way. Uh, uh, Sam says he's just been interrupted by a gambling advert. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, this is. This is YouTube anyway. Uh, just, uh, it, it, you know, I can't, we just don't know what 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 is going on. I want to finish the show um, and, and just go completely segue back into one of the birthdays we mentioned earlier on. Andy Cole. Um, you, you forget how much of an impact Andy Cole made at Newcastle United um, in a short space of time. League games, 69. Goals, 55. Uh, FA Cup, four FA Cup games, one goal in that. League Cup, seven League Cup games. Eight goals in the League Cup. Europe, three games, um, three appearances, sorry, yeah, four goals. Uh, 83 appearances, 68 goals. So, finishing off tonight's show, Mitch, where does, where does Andy Cole rank um, <coughs> as, as a centre-forward at Newcastle for you? Well, having witnessed firsthand that partnership with Piedzli and seeing him break records, um... I don't think he realised his full potential at Newcastle even. And I think the move to Man United changed him as a player. It probably improved him as an all-round player, but I think it changed him to the point where he just wasn't uh, um, as potent a striker anymore. I hear people say he used to need three or four chances to score one. Well, you know what? He used to get into the right positions to take those chances. And if he wasn't doing that, that would have been more of a problem to me. Um, it's when strikers can't get into the positions to get the chances, that's when it, when they struggle. Mm. That's what happened with Jocelyn with Newcastle United. Now we see him at Madrid banging them in because he's found a, a run of form where he's finding right positions and he's got players around him to put him in the right positions. Um, so I think we'll probably missed out on a chance to see even more out of him. Equally, though, you know, the, the, the whole circumstances on how he left, um, I think he took a lot of the things that the fans took at him exceptionally personally afterwards, and I think it's taken a long time for him to reconcile that. And I think he does sometimes become 
in the middle of, you know, Gallagher, Milburn, Shearer, almost a forgotten man. And um, I've never seen anybody impact on his first season on Tyneside when he came from Bristol City. The raw talent he had. I don't think I've anybody seen anybody with that raw innate ability to finish. No backlift. Thundering shots. He seemed to always know where to be in the box. He also had that ability um, that some of the really good strikers have to know when to stop moving in the box and just stand still and let the defenders move around them. Um, and then, of course, he had the pace. And, and that's the one thing that is very, very difficult to defend. Because if you don't have that pace, that's he'll get you every time. And so you, you've got to adapt your positioning as a defender to cope with his pace. But that then means you're sometimes out of position for other things. And so um, I think it, it, he, he could have gone on to do a heck of a lot more on the black and white shirt. Um, and I think he does... Sometimes that contribution does get lost in the way. Okay, Stu, lots of comments coming in. You're reading them there as uh, you were waiting for your uh, your chance to have a say. Um, lots, of, lots of positives, a few negatives. Lots of positives when he was here. Lots of negatives when he went to uh, Manchester United, of course. What's your thought? I've been on record many times, Steve, on, on these shows. That season, the 93-94 season, uh, our first when we got promoted, was... It was the best season I've had with support Newcastle United and Andy Cole was a major part of that. And as Mitch just said there, he was this raw youngster from Bristol City that was rejected by Arsenal and thinking, who's Keegan spending this 1.7 million on? And then he, he got like 12 goals in 11 games or something stupid like that at the end of the promotion season. And then he said, well, can this team do it in the Premier League? And once he found his feet, he found the net consistently. Consistently, didn't he? And you just expected him to score. And I love all this, like, he needs three or four chances to, to finish. Let's say he scores one and three, that's a 33% strike rate. If anyone really wants to go to look at these strikers now, I think it's only Holland that hits the net on a more regular basis. Um, target on target wise, I think Isaac's up there. I think if Isaac had the blistering pace, that Andy Cole had, if Isaac had someone like Peter Beardsley feeding him, like Andy Cole had, and it was just immense watching him. It really was. That's maybe an age thing because that was me in my early twenties. No, let's get this right. Yeah, early there, late teens, early twenties, and you now you go to all the games, home and away, and stuff like that. And it was a journey, like what the youngins are doing now with uh, Eddie Howe and everything else. It, it's a journey that we were on and it was we're in this together. But I still love the Andy Cole song. As simple as it is, it, it just reminds us of so many unbridled, joyous moments where it, he's got the ball from nowhere, he scored the goal. You know, and, and, and yes, he... Well, did he want to leave? We'll never know that. He's not going to say, yes, I want to leave. Did he get his head turned? Was it a deal that has geeked on the steps? It was an offer that was too good to turn down and that we had to trust him. Uh, eventually, yes, Ferdinand came in and then Shearer came in. 
but that coal and BNC partnership was something special and I, I hope we see something like that again in my lifetime because it was sensational. I think it was 55 goals or something to score between them that year. Uh, and it wasn't just the fact that they scored the goals, it was the terrorised defences in different ways. They were both special, special talents, but the way Cole finished them and the fact he wasn't a big name when he could was we created him. Um, I'll always be grateful for what he did in Newcastle. Yes, he said with it by singing derogatory songs in a cup final, but that's football. You change teams and you join in. What's he going to say? I'm not going to sing because, you know, it's a joyous thing. You know, we should be old enough at the time, 20 odd years later, we can cool down a bit and think, right, he was stupid, but I can understand why he did it. Although at the time I was seething. But Andy Cole was amazing. And yes, Shearer was the most complete striker. I think it was Spenny that said it before that. But uh, for, for the way he finished, and the fact it was our first season in the big league after years of, as George had gone through this in the 80s, years of mediocrity, we had a superstar, a young superstar playing for us. Uh, and he could have been anything. Had he stayed, he, he could have been anything. Uh, he went to Man United and he just blended into a team that was full of superstars. He, he was our star. He was our probably our first superstar of the 90s and fantastic watching him. Yeah, great memories um, from from our perspective. Great player as well. I I do feel as well that that, that that it's in the top three atmospheres for me. That day that he broke the record when he scored that forty first goal, uh, beat Huey Gallagher's record. The roof came off. Um, we often, you know, we say that a lot about uh, we say that a lot about things, but uh, about you know about atmospheres. But that that was a it was a, a one which had your ears ringing for a couple of minutes afterwards. Uh, and it's funny as well. Everyone mentions Beardsley, but when you speak to Peter Beardsley about Andy Cole, he always points to Scott Sellers. He says, if you watch the games back and watch the goals back, he says, um, he says, actually, Andy Cole owes a lot to Scott Sellers. He said, I might have been involved in the build-up, he says, but Scott Sellers was the real key to unlock a lot of those goals for Andy in his first, uh, you know, his first season. So, you know, typical, typical of Pedro, very humble. Uh, well, that is the end of the show. Uh, great professionals. Uh, thanks to everybody for, for dropping in uh, for an hour on a Sunday night. Thanks to the moderators. Thanks to everybody in the chat. Thanks for your questions. Uh, but thanks to Stu and to Mitch for uh, giving up that time again uh, to have a bit crack. Take care, lads. See you on uh, Wednesday night for Jordy. See how Jordy's there. Take care. Cheers, everyone.